This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to another episode of Marvel Standom. I am your host, Mike Cicchini, and I am coming to you from the Mile High City, so please forgive any glitches, technical or otherwise. We're just going to blame them on Ultron. With me for all time and always, I have Den of Geek TV editors Alec Bajalad and Katie Burt, and Den of Geek News and Features editor Kirsten Howard. And we're here to talk about what happened if Ultron actually won. And this was a pretty dark and momentous episode of What If. Kirsty, why don't you tell us what happened? In the penultimate episode of Marvel's What If, we find out what would have happened if Ultron had managed to grab that sweet vibranium body that the Avengers turned into Vision during Age of Ultron. And, shockingly, for an episode of this particular Rainbows and Lollipops TV series, everything goes badly wrong. Ultron annihilates the Earth and then spreads his peaceful brand of destruction around the universe in a way that makes Thanos seem like a playful puppy, until he discovers the Watcher's presence and realises there are yet more universes out there still to conquer. The Watcher and Ultron have a punch-up that the Watcher loses, and he goes cap-in-hand to Strange Supreme for some help rectifying this multiversal madness. Yeah, that about sums it up. Uh, And in the process, there was some genuine multiverse shattering action. Uh, I have to appreciate the scope of this episode, and I also have to appreciate what is becoming a what-if tradition, where uh, Tony Stark once again croaks early in the episode. Uh, So, where did everybody land on this one? I liked it. Um, You know, in episode four, we first saw the Watcher have a little bit more agency in terms of the plot and the storyline. And I liked that this episode picked that back up. Um, It kind of broke the fourth wall in that way where, you know, if we're kind of aligned with the Watcher as watchers of this TV program, um, you know, Ultron turned and looked at us and smashed through that barrier. So it was cool to see the show start to really like bring some episodes together and to go further into the Watcher's world. I also really liked it to the extent where I'm almost a little disappointed in myself uh, because when this whole thing started, it seemed like such a fun little writing prompt within the, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just getting writers on to have their hand at fun little standalone stories that can delve into areas that the movies couldn't. But now that it's becoming connected and serialized mm-hmm. here, I can't help but feel like a big sigh of relief. Like, okay, this is the epic nonsense that I've come to expect from my Marvel movies. Um, I I really like the bringing, finally having the Watcher brought in as somebody who has to intervene and not just watch. And I just like the scale of it all. I'm excited to see multiversal war come to fruition. 
I like this episode. It didn't feel like a penultimate episode of a season to me. It didn't feel like we were going through the motions towards the finale. There was so much going on, but actually the story was quite small in a way. It just merely focused on Ultron, Black Widow and Hawkeye and the Watcher. And I felt like the, be the episode benefited from keeping that story small and some of the mo more successful installments of the series have done so too. I hope that the finale next week will bring back a lot of the characters we've seen in previous episodes and we'll get to see Captain Carter and T'Challa Star-Lord again. It's going to be interesting to look back on this season once it's finished, um, just to think about like the order of the episodes, because I actually watched last week's episode a lot closer to this one because I wasn't able to join you last week. So to go from that, where like the stakes are Thor's throwing a destructive party on Earth and he has to clean up before his mom gets there, to this, where the stakes like couldn't be higher, was quite a shift. And I don't know how I feel about that yet. You know, I've said throughout our what-if explorations that... You know, and even going back to when we were talking about Loki, right? I kind of feel that the multiverse is more of like a DC thing, you know, just like spiritually. Um, but Marvel is making their, it their own in some really interesting ways here, and we get glimpses of like what it, like how it actually functions in in a very literal way in this episode. These guys punching each other through realities. Uh, is really, really cool, although it feels very much like a particular DC multiverse story called Infinite Crisis, which is actually quite bad. And that one involved a version of Superboy altering reality, like, you know, altering the, you know, and ultimately bringing back the multiverse by punching the walls of reality. And it's like, it's just like ultimate comic book logic. And it was kind of neat seeing that uh, visualized here. Has there ever been a good comic book? <laughs> <laughs> because every week you're like, now this one is based on this comic, which is terrible. As you all know. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that, because because the opening scenes of this episode feel very much like the actual Age of Ultron comic. You know, the Age of Ultron movie didn't have anything to do with the comic that shared its own name other than sharing its main villain. And that book opened on a world that had already been kind of like ravaged by Ultron drones, and where Hawkeye is one of the last remaining kind of freedom fighters. And Age of Ultron is also a very bad comic. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so yes, Alec, all comics are bad. <laughs> um, but no, we, in, we, we'll get to some other stuff in this episode. That There's a nod to one of my favorite Captain America stories. Uh, it just seems like when we're, whenever we're talking about big event comics, uh, it's, it, it's pretty... Uh, it's almost standard practice for the MCU to adapt them better than their printed form. <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, I think it's a kind of a good strategy for the MCU to take to rehabilitate the bad comics because, I mean, the good ones, like, they're already good. Who cares? <laughs> it is interesting. This is the first episode, I think, that feels really probably intentionally, like, incomplete. Um, you know, like, the, although the other episodes end on cliffhangers, it feels like it... it explored the theme or at least attempted to explore the theme that the question presents and this one is finally kind of engaging with this like what i think of as like the prime directive theme where it's like do are you allowed or should you you know engage with societies that are not your own 
the Watcher, we see him struggle with that here, as we have at certain moments in the series so far. We don't really see a conclusion or a, an analysis of that, and I'm I'm curious to see what that looks like in the in the final episode. I hope I hope they dig into it. So this is like obviously Ultron's episode, but I always find it interesting in these which characters they choose to focus on in, as like the protagonist or heroes. Uh, we've got a lot of Clint and Natasha this season. And in this episode in particular, uh, we loved Lake Bella's Natasha way back in the Hank Pym episode. And I feel like this is actually probably the best Clint thing in the MCU yet. Because, A, I mean, he's still, like, he's still kind of kind of sucks. Like, he's not that. No one loves Hawkeye or Clint Barton. However, at this one, at least he's, like, a really cool action figure. Uh, like, this is the first iteration of Hawkeye where the arrows have actually seemed really cool and all the various tools he has. Um, that force field that he creates by, like, shooting two arrows and holding back an army of Ultrons is as cool a concept as you can get from an archer, I think. I also love that he has just a USB drive mm -hmm. arrow. <laughs> he can just, just in case he needs to save something quickly, just plug an arrow into a computer or something. <laughs> He also has an invisibility cloak for some reason, just a Harry Potter style invisibility cloak. But yeah, I just I appreciated Clint um, Clint Francis Barton uh, from just a purely aesthetic standpoint this time around. There was a there's a neat thing about uh, Clint's cybernetic arm in this episode too, which is like, which I feel like might be kind of like a very kind of sideways nod to. Uh, another DC comic, believe it or not, The Dark Knight Returns, which is a great comic, Alec. <laughs> and because in that, you know, that's a like a, a near future, you know, DC universe where, um, you know, superheroes aren't really a thing anymore. And Oliver Queen, the Green Arrow, only has one arm in it because, and he's been in prison. Well, you know, what's the easiest way to make sure an archer can't do anything to you? It's to take one of his arms away. So I have to wonder if, uh, you know, if Clint's cybernetic arm was something that, like, kind of came after the fact, after the Ultron drones were like, we're going to take you out of the picture, bro. And, uh, yeah, I just thought that was kind of a neat touch. I really like to read some good stuff or watch some good stuff or listen to some good stuff about, like, ability and disability in superhero storytelling and especially the MCU. Um so if any of our listeners or watchers have any recommendations, they should let us know in the comments. Any of our watchers? <laughs> yes. Any of our Jeffrey Wrights. I think henceforth we will only refer to uh, Marvel Standom fans as watchers. Or or <laughs> watus. Like, you know, take watus. your pick, folks. I mean it makes sense for an episode that is like, you know, really does kind of quite literally explore and destroy elements of the multiverse, but we get a lot of stuff from the MCU and from Marvel Comics history kind of like stuck into the margins here. Uh, the idea of Natasha getting the Red Guardian shield, I just want that to be canon. Like maybe Yelena should get the uh, should get the Red Guardian shield in, in an upcoming MCU project because that is just really cool and I would love to see what kind of fun they can have with that in live action. Once again, Captain Marvel kind of steals the show, even though she's only in the episode for about two minutes. Um, 
this character just looks so amazing in animation. That costume is so sharp. But, anybody have a problem with that Terminator joke? The Captain Marvel movie takes place roughly in 1993. It's, it's like kind of a, a general early 90s movie. But her, uh, her Terminator joke here implies that she's only seen the first Terminator movie when T2 came out in 1991. So it's time for the MCU to like really get it together on deciding when the events of Captain Marvel happened. Us Gen Xers demand an answer <laughs> and like we want them now. I love these grapes. Well, maybe in this universe, it did happen. The events did happen a bit earlier in the 90s, Mike. Did you ever think of that? Fine. Fine. So we very briefly see in one of the realities that Ultron and the Watcher are crashing through, we see Steve Rogers being sworn in as president. That is a deep cut. Um, There was a story in the late 70s in the Captain America comics where... Cap actually was recruited by an independent political party. Uh, They tried to draft him to be their presidential uh, candidate. And he ultimately turned it down. But it's it's part of a, a larger, really good story by Roger Stern and John Byrne. So I always I always love when we see like little things like that because especially MCU Steve, like who wouldn't vote for this guy? Are you telling me there's a comic writing team called Stern and Burn? Yes, it was it was short-lived, but yes. <laughs> Later in 1981, there was a what-if story called What If Captain America Were Elected President? Um, that was by Mike Barr. And it was a neat little story, but um, this Easter egg kind of goes beyond just comics references. I believe that A.C. Bradley, who is the head, head writer on this show, did want to get some of this Capus president story in there and in fact sort of was pitching an idea that um, they would do a whole episode on that that was modeled after the West Wing so very Aaron Sorkin dialogue walk and talks everything and they were plotting out which West Wing characters best suited the denizens of the MCU but it uh, it never flew at Marvel, so uh, we just have this uh, kind of nice little moment in this episode to console ourselves with. Ugh, I would have loved to see what that would have looked like, and it. But I, <laughs> I am also not surprised at all that Marvel was didn't want to make such uh, um, an overtly political episode. But I would have been. Uh-huh. I think it would have been ambitious and interesting. Maybe season two. I want this episode like right now. We've seen this in some earlier episodes as well, but it is nice that because it's animation and they can do a lot of stuff that live action can't do, is once again we get some really cool nods to the true father of the Marvel Universe, Jack Kirby. The outfit that he kind of armors up into isn't any particular comic book design, but it definitely kind of feels like something Kirby would have designed, especially in the 70s. but more importantly, like the energy that kind of like cascades off of him and that we keep seeing like almost every time he gets hit or throws a punch is, you know, uh, what's referred to in, in comic circles as like Kirby crackle. It's when it's just like these dots that are used to represent, you know, whatever amorphous, you know, indescribable cosmic energy that comes off of these beings. like. You know, when when Doctor Doom gets a little too powerful, there's usually some Kirby crackle around his gauntlets. And, you know, when the Silver Surfer is doing stuff, like the Power Cosmic is always represented by Kirby crackle. Um, And 
really like the the Ultron slash Vision design with the helmet. That is a very Kirby esque uh, helmet design. It feels there's a little bit of Galactus in there. Uh, there's a little bit of the Celestials, which we'll be seeing a lot of in Eternals next month. Um, I just love when they do this because it's not something that's easily done in live action. Uh, and it just it just makes me happy that they they remember where they're coming from here. How would you ideally, in the most fan service way possible, like this season to end? How can you how can you do it? If there is a live action post credit scene that implies yeah. that somebody in the prime MCU is aware of or vaguely aware of or becoming aware of the events of these episodes that would absolutely blow my mind yeah i think more than any specific like plot wishes it is just wanting to see how this matters to the larger mcu and mike's um idea would definitely qualify <laughs> to really grapple with the concept of infinity, the fact that there are infinity multiverses, because that's the only way I can wrap my head around uh, Infinity Ultron being defeated. I know I've derisively referred to him as a Digimon before, <laughs> but in the usually in Digimon continuity, the only way to defeat a big, powerful Digimon is for everybody to like kind of band together to create like a new Megazord mm. Digimon to attack him. <laughs> Just imagine like all the infinite denizens of the infinite universes banding together into one creature and punching Ultron in the face. Wow. <laughs> I'm imagining it. Uh, this is never going to happen, but I would very much like to see maybe the Killmonger we met in this season and Captain Carter, sort of the last one standing in some epic battle. And then it slowly dissolves into live action and it's Michael B. Jordan and Hayley Atwell, like fully cool. costumed up. Doctor Strange comes in in the portal in the background, <laughs> you know, recruits them for the new Avengers. I know it's not, it's not going to happen, but I think that would be super fun. Oh yeah. I'm throwing my vote behind Kirstie's actually. Sorry, Alec. <laughs> maybe, maybe those can both happen in the same episode. And that is a wrap on another episode of Marvel Stand-Up, everybody. We will be back next week exploring the what if finale and everything else the MCU multiverse has to offer. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. We're at Marvel Standom. You can also follow us at Den of Geek US and at Den of Geek. Go straight to our web home at Den of Geek. Subscribe here. Follow us there. Blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter because I will end everything next week. And the world will finally know peace.